We on? Everybody hear me? Good. Very good. Well, uh, glad to be here tonight. Thank you for letting me, letting me be here and preaching to you. Um, we're going to look at, a, at a one verse tonight. Um, so hopefully we get finished with it in plenty of time. Um, I can remember, I don't know about you all, what you all remember about your childhoods or about growing up even as an adult later in life. Um, but I remember specifically one birthday present that I, that I got. Um, I remember several Christmas presents. Um, looking back, I remember when I was probably four or five years old, I got a Castle Grayskull, which is where He-Man lived, if you know anything about He-Man. That's where He-Man lived in Castle Grayskull. I remember I got that. I remember I had to be four or maybe even three, something like that, because I got it when we lived at our old house before we moved to the new house where my mom and dad live now. Um, and I, I remember several gifts like that, but I, but I really remember looking back, I remember one birthday. When I turned 13 years old, um, where, I'm, where I'm from and, and very similar to, to here, um, growing up, all the men that I was around uh, carried a pocket knife with them everywhere they went. My dad had a pocket knife. All my uncles had pocket knives. Um, really, everybody that I knew, uh, all the men, had a pocket knife. I grew up in a, in a farming community. My dad grew up on a farm. He wasn't a farmer uh, most of the time that I was growing up, but his dad had been a farmer. Um, my mom's family, all of her brothers, and, and my granddad on that side of the family was a farmer. And just every, every man that I knew had a, uh, a pocket knife that they carried with them. And I remember getting a pocket knife for my birthday when I turned 13 years old. Kind of a rite of passage, I guess. My dad gave it to me. It was a nice one. It was a case pocket knife, which if you know anything about that brand, that's a, that's a nice pocket knife. Um, I wish I still had it, but I don't. I, um, of course, I lost it being a kid. But I remember my, my dad gave it to me for my, for my 13th birthday. And my mom was, uh, wasn't sure that I was quite old enough yet to have my own pocket knife, a real one. I'd have like a little bitty one or something that I, that I bought when I was younger, but, but to have a real one. Um, and, and my dad kind of talked her into it, kind of a rite of passage, like I said, 13 years old, time to get your own knife, that kind of thing. And so he talked her into letting me get one, and so I did, um, and of course you guys probably know what happened. Um, I took it out as soon as I got it and went out playing with it, and I uh, was using it to, to pry something open or, or something like that, and, and it slipped and, and cut me pretty bad. And so I went back in, and my mom took it and put it up in the cabinet where I couldn't reach it, and it stayed there for a, for a year or two until she decided I was old enough to, to have it. Um, but, I, but I learned something, right? I learned that sometimes if you use something uh, in a way that it wasn't meant to be used, it can be really dangerous. Now, I don't, I don't have a nice pocket knife now. Now I carry a little plastic one that I got at Walmart because it's only a couple dollars and I keep losing them. And so if I lose it, I'll just go get another one for $1.50 at Walmart. Um, but usually, this one doesn't because it's pretty new, but usually it'll be broken. The end of it will be broken off because I've tried to use it as a, to, as a pry bar or a screwdriver or something and break the end of it off. And, and, but I learned that, that day that um, when you use something for a purpose it wasn't made for, it can often be really dangerous, right? And other things are that way too. Um, other things are that way too. Uh, electricity is that way, right? Electricity is really good, so good in fact that when the, when the power goes off, we don't really know what to do. We're scrambling to find candles or flashlights and hope it's not going to be too long. And what are we going to do now that we can't watch TV or how are we going to pass the time? Um, th- those kind of things. Um, and, and yet electricity, if, it's, if the wires get messed up, get frayed, 
Um, they can be, there can be sparks, and, and they can even burn houses down, burn buildings down. It can be really dangerous if you don't know what you're doing with it. Uh, my dad used to be an electrician, and, and I used to, to think I knew something about electricity. And I, I remember my dad telling me one time that sometimes you know just enough about something to be dangerous with it, right? You know just enough to think you know more than you do. And if you're doing something with electricity, it can be really dangerous. Um, medicine's that way, right? Obviously, medicine's good. Um, and, and yet medicine can also be dangerous if it's taken the wrong way or abused or people get addicted to it. We just had a meeting here a couple of weeks ago about that, right, about heroin and, and other um, opioids. But opioids are good. They were, they were created um, as medicine, pain medication, things like that. But when they're abused, they become, they become dangerous. Fire's that way, right? Fire can be tamed and used. The, the reason that our cars go up and down the, the, the road is because of, Thousands of explosions, controlled explosions inside of our cars every, every minute that, that makes our cars go. But again, if it gets out of control, then it can be, can be really dangerous. Um, sometimes things can be dangerous even if you use them the right way. I've got a, a scar on my hand where I cut it with a razor knife when I was opening a box at a, at a place I used to work. And it, the knife slipped and, and cut me, and I was using it the, the right way. But the, but the point is that, that if you use things for um, a purpose that they weren't made for, Oftentimes, they can be really dangerous. And the Bible talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul's writing it to Timothy. It's called 1 Timothy because it's the first letter he wrote to Timothy. But in chapter 1, starting in verse 8, listen to what Paul says. He says, now we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. We know the law is good if you use it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of God, of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Paul tells uh, Timothy and the, and the church here in Ephesus where, where Timothy was at the time, he tells them the law is really good. God gave us the law, and the law is good. If you use it lawfully. There's kind of a play on words there, right? The law is good if it's used lawfully. What he's, what he's meaning is the law is good if you use it rightly, if you use it the, the way that God meant for it to be used. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says the law is good if it's used legitimately. That's a good translation. That's a good word. If it's used legitimately, if it's used the right way, the, the, the way that God meant for it to be, to be used. But what that means on the other side is if it's used unlawfully, if it's used wrongly, if it's used illegitimately, then it can be bad, right? The law is good if you use it rightly, but it can be bad if you use it badly. It can be bad if you use it unlawfully. It can be bad if you use it not in the way that God meant for it to be used. And in fact, like fire or electricity or pocket knives, the law can be deadly if it's used wrongly. The law can be deadly if it's used wrongly. It's, it, the reason is, is because when we, when we try to use it wrongly, we're trying to make it do something that it wasn't ever intended to do. The pocket knife became dangerous and 
possibly could have been deadly, depending on how small I was or how big it was or, or that kind of thing. But it, beca- it became dangerous and maybe even deadly when I tried to use it for something it wasn't meant for. When I tried to use it as a, as a pry bar or as a screwdriver or something like that instead of what it was meant to be used for. In the same way the law becomes dangerous, the law becomes deadly when we try to use it for something that God didn't design it to do. So tonight, in the next few minutes, I want to, 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 do, to do one thing. I want to look at maybe two ways that sometimes we use the, ro- the law wrongly. And kind of talk about that for a few minutes. And then I want to suggest two ways that the law should be used. Two ways that the law ought to be used. Two ways that the law can be used rightly, legitimately, lawfully, what its true purpose is. But so first of all, how do we use it wrongly? Well, well the first way that we use the law wrongly is, is sometimes we, we, we try to pride ourselves on, on knowing it. Or, or we try to pride ourselves on being known by it. Okay? We, we pride ourselves on knowing it or, or being known by it. This is, this is what the Pharisees did. This is how the Pharisees tried to use the law. They, they knew the law really, really well. Right? The Pharisees knew the law really, really well. They were really good at knowing it. They were really good at discussing it. And, and they were good at holding others to it. They just were never all that good at obeying it themselves. But they knew it. And they observed other people. And they knew how... Other people broke it. I remember a, a, a man that I met in Oklahoma back a few months ago, and um, th- this man I got to know pretty well and liked him a whole lot. He was older than me. But we were talking, and, and, and he found out I was, I was a pastor, and, and we were talking one day, and he was, um, he was an attorney. And he was telling me that, that he, like I said, he was older than me, came from an older generation, and, and he was telling me that, that one thing that he just can't stand, he likes for everybody that, 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 that can to be at church, but he just can't stand it when people come to church wearing shorts. If they're going to wear shorts, or he just feels like they should wear pants to be more respectful. And if someone comes in wearing shorts, it's just all he can do to sit there. Walk, wearing shorts, don't amen, don't amen yet, because I'm, I'm about to say something else in a minute. <laughs> he, he, he said, when people came in wearing shorts, or people were sitting around talking, or, or not paying attention, or being disruptive during the service, he said it, that just burned him up. It got him so upset sometimes that he would have to get up and walk out because he wasn't in the right frame of mind to be worshiping because in his mind they weren't honoring the Sabbath, right? That's one of the Ten Commandments that Josh read, honor the Sabbath. In his mind they weren't, they weren't doing that. And, and yet I wonder how many of us do the same thing, right? We wouldn't, I don't think any of us would get up and walk out if somebody came in wearing shorts or someone was talking or someone was being a distraction, right? I don't think any of us would get up and walk out because we're so mad. But we might. We might sit in our seat and stew about it and be upset about it and think about how, man, they, that person should be able to put some pants on. That would be way more respectful to God than, than coming in wearing a, wearing a pair of shorts, right? But listen to what we're doing. The law doesn't say to wear pants, Right? Even the Old Testament law doesn't say to wear pants. That's something that this man was adding to the law. That's something that, that this man was saying, well, I know it says to, to, to honor the Sabbath, and, and, but, but here's how I think everyone else should honor the Sabbath, and everyone should do it the way that I want them to, to do it. That's, that's what the Pharisees did, right? The Pharisees added laws and added commandments and added explanations to the commandments that they, that they had. I wonder how many of us, when we see someone falling short, either really falling short of the law, 
or just falling short in what our, our idea of what they should be doing is, right? I wonder how often when we see people doing that, we find some satisfaction in it. I wonder how often we find satisfaction in someone else messing up because it makes us feel like, well, at least we're not doing that, right? That person should be more like me. I'm honoring God way better than that person is, right? I wonder how many of us think that way sometimes. Another way that uh, that, that this comes across sometimes is, is not just priding ourselves in knowing it and holding other people accountable to it and, and kind of we're the sheriff in town that's going to make sure everyone else is doing right. But sometimes maybe we, we, we approach the law as wanting to be known by it. Wanting to be known by it. Think about all the Ten Commandments signs that we see in people's yards. Right? wonder how many people that have these Ten Commandment signs up, I wonder how many of them know what the Ten Commandments say. wonder how many of them know how the Ten Commandments should be used, what the Ten Commandments are for. wonder how many of the politicians that, that fight for the Ten Commandments being put up at a, at a courthouse or put up at a, at a school building know what they say, know what they mean, and believe them. Or do they just want to be known as someone who is fighting for that issue? If they, want, they want to be known as someone who is on God's side and other people's sight. When you drive by someone's house, I want you to, to, to identify me as someone who is with God because I have this sign up in my, in my yard. I wonder how many of them find satisfaction just in being known that way. This is not the right way to, to use the law. We shouldn't use the law as a, as a status symbol. We shouldn't use the law as, as something to, to build our pride up and how much better we are than someone else because they're not doing what we know they ought to do. And we also shouldn't use the law as a way of, of like a, a badge that we will wear, something we will be known, known by. A second way that, that, that we use the law wrongly sometimes is um, sometimes we pride ourselves in keeping it. Right? Sometimes we pride ourselves in keeping it, or, or at least sometimes maybe we pride ourselves in trying to keep it and how hard we try to, to keep it. This is how many of the, of the Jewish people tried to keep the law. How many of the Jewish people tried to keep the law? They, they, they thought that, and sometimes we think, that if we can just obey everything the law says, then we'll gain salvation or we'll gain favor or God will be happy with us or we'll be acceptable to, to him. Okay, but there's two problems with this. The first problem is we can't do that, right? The first problem is that we can't keep it perfectly. We can't keep it perfectly. In, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What was the problem with the Pharisees? It wasn't that they were trying to be too strict or too rigid. That, that wasn't their problem. The problem of the Pharisees was that they weren't righteous enough. They weren't righteous enough. They didn't, they didn't measure up to God's standard. They had all these, all these laws and all these regulations, but they weren't doing it themselves. They weren't holy themselves. Think, let, let's think for a minute just through the list of the Ten Commandments, okay? Don't say anything out loud, but just think through these as, as I read them out. Think through the list of the Ten Commandments, okay? Only worship God, right? Some of y'all um, may have them memorized already, but only worship God. Don't have images. Don't misuse God's name. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, 
Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not covet. How many of those ten have you kept? Just kind of think about through your life. How many of those ten have you kept? Before you answer, though, think, think about this. Think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're familiar with it. Remember in that sermon, God said, Jesus says that if you've ever been angry with someone, then you've committed murder in your heart, right? Remember Jesus says that if you've ever lusted after someone, then you've committed adultery in your heart, right? How many of them have you been able to keep in your life? If, if your answer is anything other than zero, then you should go back and think through the list again, right? If you answered anything other than zero, you should go back and think through the list uh, again. The, the truth is that, that none of us have, have ever kept e- even one of the commandments in our lives. We haven't gone our whole life even keeping one of the commandments. We've broken all of them. And to take it even a little bit further, if you, if you still don't think that's true of you, listen to what James says in James chapter 2. He says, for whoever keeps the entire law, the whole thing, right? Not just the Ten Commandments, but the whole thing. Whoever keeps the entire law, yet fails in one little point, is guilty of breaking it all. If you've only broken one small commandment, no matter how small it is, James says that, that we're guilty of breaking all of it. If, if, if we think the right way to, to use the law is to obey it as a, as a means of getting uh, God's favor, of getting God's acceptance, of, then, then, then that's really bad news because you haven't done that. If that's the way to use the Ten Commandments, if that's the way to use the law, then that's bad. That means you don't have God's favor and you don't have God's acceptance because you haven't kept the law, right? That's bad. One commentator says this, listen. He says, the law is bad when unlawfully used. It's bad for the man who cannot obey it for it plunges him into despair. It's even worse, however, for the man who supposes he can obey it, for it produces in him the worst form of pride, the pride of goodness. And pride, this commentator says, is the worst of all sins. The law is bad if we use it wrongly, right? The law is bad if we use it wrongly. It's bad news to us because we can't obey it. But here's the good news. The good news is that's not what the law was for to begin with. That's not the purpose of the law. If you're using the law as a means of trying to gain favor with God, gain acceptance with God, gain, uh, make God feel, feel good about you, well, the good news is that's not what the law was for to start with. Listen to what, what Paul says in Galatians 3. He says, if a law had been given, if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would certainly be by the law. But that's not the case, right? Paul says, if there was a law that could give life, then righteousness would be by the law. But there's not a law that can give life. God never gave us a a law that was able to give life. The law was never meant to give life. Listen to this commentator again. He says, the law was never intended to be an instrument by which man, through moral obedience, could lift himself to God. God didn't give us the law so that we would obey it so well that we could lift ourselves up to the level of God. Turn, turn with me, if you will, to, back to Exodus chapter 20. This is where Josh began reading. He began our service here tonight. Exodus chapter 20, this is the giving of the Ten Commandments, right? This is kind of the, the first part of the law. 
when we think of the law, we think of the Ten Commandments, right? It, there's other stuff. The Ten, the Ten Commandments is kind of a summary, but the Ten Commandments is also kind of the beginning of the official giving out the law. If you continue reading Exodus, you get into Leviticus, there's more specifics given and, and more laws given, but the Ten Commandments is kind of the beginning of it. Look at, look at chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20. Look at the first two verses. And God spoke, and remember where we are in Exodus, right? Remember the, the, the people have gone into slavery in Egypt, and God's led them out. That's why it's called the Exodus. They're exiting, uh, they're exiting Egypt. They're leaving Egypt. God's leading them out. They've crossed the Red Sea. The Egyptian army was, was drowned in the Red Sea and killed. And now they're, they're coming into their, uh, they're on the way to the promised land now. And they get to this mountain, and God gives them this law. Listen to the first two verses. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What do you notice there? God doesn't say, I will be your God if you keep these commandments, right? God says, I already am your God. I'm already the God that brought you out of Egypt. I'm already the God that has, that has, has worked salvation for you from the people of Egypt. I am your God. The Ten Commandments were never, were never meant to be a means of us becoming God's people. The Ten Commandments were the result of us already being God's people. The result of them already being God's people. He begins by declaring that he is their God. He has already delivered them from slavery. Now, here are the commandments. So we've seen two wrong ways to use the, the, the law as a status symbol, as a means of, of, uh, of, of priding ourselves on knowing it, priding ourselves on on being known by it, and, and then also as a means of gaining favor with God. Those are both the wrong ways to use the law. So what's the right way to use the law? What's the right way to use the law? Well, I want to say there's two right ways to use the law as well. And the first one is the law reveals God to us. The law reveals God to us. There was a, um, a, famous, uh, a famous story happened in, in 1631. Okay, In 1631, there were these, these, this group of of men, I'm not sure how many there were, but this group of men in England were going were gonna, to uh, publish the King James Bible. Okay? It had already been in publication for a while, but they were going to print some of them. It was a print shop. They were going to print the, uh, the King James Bible, and they were going to sell them. Right? And, and so they started doing that. And uh, unfortunately, they, they left out one small word in one small verse. Okay? Left out one three-letter word, real small word, in one, in, in one small verse. And it, and it became this huge thing to where they were fined about $50,000 in, in today's money because of it. They had to gather all the Bibles that hadn't sold yet and destroy them. So they lost all the, all the profit in that, in that money. And also, this, this version of the Bible that they had printed became known by a dubious title. It was called the Wicked Bible or the Adulterer's Bible. Okay? And the reason it was known by that name is because if you look at the, at the, at the correct printing of the King James Bible, um, if you look at the seventh commandment, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Right? If you read their Bible, it said, thou shalt commit adultery. They left out the little word not. Right? And so it's come to be known as the adulterer's Bible or the, the wicked Bible because of that. And if you have... If you have one that survived till, till today, it can be worth quite a, quite a bit of money. But this, this is kind of a, kind of a funny story from, from church history, but it also brings up a good question. Could God have commanded adultery? The Ten Commandments says you shall not commit adultery. 
Could God have said you shall commit adultery? Could God have said you shall lie? Could God have said you shall kill instead of you shall not lie, you shall not kill? And the answer is no. He couldn't have, right? And, and here's why. It's because uh, one of the purposes of, of the law, the reason God gave us the law, is to tell us about himself. Okay? The reason God gave us the law is to tell us about himself. Each specific piece of the law is revealing something to us about God. So why does God say, um, let's just go, go through some of the Ten Commandments. Why does God say, only worship me? Don't have any other gods before me. Why does God say that? He's, he's not just making that law up out of nowhere. He's saying that because he's the only true God. And he values himself above everything else. And if we're going to be like him, then we should do that too, right? Why does, why does, uh, why does God say you shall have no images? Well, he's already given us an image, right? He created Adam in his own image. Jesus is in the perfect image of God. We're going to be conformed into the image of, of Jesus one day. Why does, why does he say for us to... Um, why does he say do not murder? Remember, we just went through the I am statements in John's gospel. In John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life, right? God is life. That's why he tells us not to murder. Murder's wrong, right? But the reason murder's wrong is because it's not like God. The, the same thing about, about telling the truth. Why does God say you shall not lie? Well, because Jesus says again, I am the way, the truth, in the life. If we're going to be like God, then we're going to be truth tellers, right? Why does God say, um, why does God say, do not covet? Because God's trustworthy. We can trust him to give us all that we need. God provides for us, and so we don't need to be looking at what other people have, right? Why does God say, do not commit adultery? Because God's faithful, and he always does what he says, and he always keeps his promises. So if we're going to be like God, then we're going to do these things. And in fact, the whole, the whole law really could be summarized as be like me. Well, what does it mean to be like you? Well, it means don't kill and don't, don't, or don't murder and don't lie and don't bear false witness. And those are the same thing. And don't covet and don't commit adultery, right? It, it, it means, it, it means to, to keep the law. That's why God gave us the law, because it teaches us about who he is. One way that we use the law rightly, legitimately, lawfully, is that, that, that when we read it, when we come to, to passages of Scripture that, that, that are law, we should be thinking and asking ourselves, what is it in this commandment, what is it in this group of commandments, what is it in this, in this law, what does it reveal to us about God's character? And then we should rejoice in the goodness of God that we see there. The law reveals God to us. The second thing the law does, the second way to use the law rightly is, is the law leads us to Christ. The law leads us to Christ. The law was never meant to be a, a, a way for us to gain salvation, a way for us to obey it and gain salvation or gain favor with God. The law was meant to lead us to Jesus. Listen again to, to Galatians 3. A little bit down from where we read before, in verse 24, Paul says this. He says, The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. The law was our guardian until Jesus, so that we could be justified by faith. Some translations say that the law was a tutor that leads us to Christ, a tutor that leads us to, to Jesus. Well, how, how does this work? How does the law lead us to Jesus? How does the law lead us to 
to Christ. I, I, like, I wrote it down here because I like the way that, that John Calvin explains it. Listen to what he says. He says, the law is like a mirror. Okay? The law is like a mirror. In it, we, con- we contemplate our weakness. Then the iniquity arising from this. And finally, the curse coming from both. Just as a mirror shows us the spots on our face. When we look at the law, we see ourselves the way that we really are. Just the way that if you look in a mirror, you see your face the way that it really is. When we look at the law and we compare ourselves to it, we see our own shortcomings, is what he's saying. We see our own sins. When we see God says, don't lie, and I know that I have lied, well, I see that I don't measure up to God's, to God's standard. The law acts like a mirror. We see ourselves the way that we really are compared to God's righteousness and, and his demands. We see our own sinfulness. Martin Luther sa- says this. He, he says it a little bit more starkly. He, he, and, he, and he's picking up some imagery from, from Jeremiah chapter 23. In Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah says, is, is not my word like fire? This is the Lord's declaration and like a hammer that pulverizes rock, right? So in Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah is saying that, that God's word, the law, is kind of like a hammer that pulverizes and beats rock, okay? And then listen to what Martin Luther says. He says, the law is the hammer of death, the thunder of hell, and the thunder of God's wrath to bring down the proud and shameless hypocrites. As long as a person thinks he is right, he is going to be incomprehensibly proud and presumptuous. This monster of self-righteousness, this stiff-necked beast, needs a big axe. And that is what the law is, a big axe. Accordingly, the proper use and function of the law is to threaten until the conscience is scared stiff. Luther said that if we're, if, if we're going to be um, saved from our sins, first we have to kind of come to the end of ourselves in our sins. We have to kind of, in, in, in one way you might say, it, we have to kind of be destroyed in our sins, right? He says we need a big axe to, to, to kind of cut us down to size, you might say, right? He says that's exactly what the law is. When we look at the law, we see ourselves the way that we really are. God uses the law to prove to us our sinfulness. We can't get away from it to lead us to, 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 to complete and utter despair in ourselves. He uses the law to prove to us that we need a Savior. The right way to use the law, then, is, is to, to, to humble ourselves before, before it, to admit that we're sinful, to confess our sins to God, and to trust in Jesus' righteousness instead of our own. There's a, a famous story that Jesus told that you are probably familiar with. It's in Luke's Gospel. But it's the story of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember that story? Jesus says he, 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 the, the, this, this Pharisee and this tax collector go into the temple one day, and they're there, and they're, they're, they're getting ready to pray. And he says that the, the Pharisee, when he got ready to pray, he walked into the temple and went up to the front where everybody could see him. And, and, and he, he stood there, and he prayed out loud, real loud, where everybody could hear him. And he said he was thanking God that he wasn't like other people, right? Thank you that I'm not like other men. This Pharisee said, he thanked God that he was not an adulterer. He thanked God that he was not a murderer. He thanked God that he was not greedy or unrighteous. Can you imagine praying that way? God, thank you that I'm not unrighteous. Thank you that I'm not greedy, right? And, and, and then he even said, the tax collector was, was right there, and the Pharisee even, even prayed out loud where everybody could hear, God, thank you so much that I'm not like that tax collector over there. Thank you that I'm better than that guy, Right? He said, I give a tenth of everything I make. He said, I fast twice every single week. Not a week goes by that I don't fast two days. 
Not a, not, a, not a week goes by that I don't give a tenth of everything that I make. Jesus said the tax collector came in the temple. And he didn't go up to the front where people could see him. He kind of stayed back, uh, back off to the, to the side. Um, he wouldn't approach the, the front where the Pharisee was. Jesus says he beat himself and he prayed. His, his prayer was simply, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Remember which one? Jesus said was, was justified that day? The tax collector, right? Jesus said the tax collector went home justified. Because when he came to the law, he, he didn't try to, try to show how good he was. He didn't try to show how much he met the, the requirements, met the standard there. But in, in, the, in the tax collector's life, the law showed him how much of a sinner he was. Showed him how much he needed the mercy of God. We should use the law that way in our own lives also. Let it humble us, let it prove to us what, what Isaiah is true, says is true, um, that even our, our best deeds, even our best works are filthy rags before God. One uh, commentator, Charles Trentum, he says this. He says, the law was never intended to be an instrument by which man through moral obedience could lift himself to God. Rather, it was provided as a revealer of our inadequacies to show us how far short we have fallen and to cause us to cast ourselves on the grace of God, which alone can deliver us. As you read the, read the laws, as you read the commandments of God, just in your normal Bible reading time, when you come to those parts of, of Scripture, see yourselves the way that the Bible presents you and, and then agree to that, right? Don't try to justify yourself. Don't try to argue in, in the face of God that, that, that you're better than that. See yourself the way the law pictures you and, and then agree that, that you are that way. Let the demands of, of God's righteousness drive you to trust in and rejoice in Jesus and his work for you on the cross. Even more. Every time we read it, even more. God, thank you so much that I was in this situation and you brought me out of it. Rejoice that God's provided a way for you to be his son, for you to be his daughter through Jesus. As I was thinking through these, these, these things, I, I kept thinking of, of this hymn. I want to close with this last verse. It says, not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands, right? Nothing we do can fulfill what the law requires of us. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. You must save and you alone. Let's pray. Father God, we are, are so thankful to you tonight. God, what a, what a good God you are to us. What a good Savior you are to us. God, I pray that you would humble me, Father, humble us. God, I pray that we would never lose sight of the fact that we are sinners saved by your grace in Jesus. God, nothing that we are is our doing, Father, nothing that we have is because we've earned it or because we've been good enough or because we've been different than, than someone else. God, your word is clear that your standard is perfection, complete righteousness, holiness. And, and, and Father, we all fall far short of that. God, it's too much, even, even to be true, really, too much to, to, to be thought of that in that situation where there's nothing we can do there's no way that we can measure up. 
and yet you provide the gospel to make us undeserving, unfit people, your people, your children. God, I think of the song we sing so often, God, full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. God, we thank you so much for Jesus, our Savior. It's in his name we pray, amen.